Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. You know, the lost man sees the stars with clarity, hears the thunder clearly, but he doesn't know how great the God is. And that is because he sees these things and he hears these things and neither one require faith and he doesn't know their source. He is satiated in his own understanding And because he doesn't know God, he is blind. He is deaf. He doesn't know his glory. We have clarity. We have eyes that see and ears that hear. And I'm not talking about the ones that are gracing your body right now. I'm talking about the eyes of the Spirit. I'm talking about the ears of the Spirit who are before the throne of God, who are taking in all that he is doing and saying, the worship of him. And they call unto us and they say, by faith seize hold of the truth. By faith declare over your mind, will, and emotions, he is great. He's worthy of praise. The distractions of your flesh and of this world and of the thoughts of your mind are not worthy, but he is. He is. Tonight we're going to look at Galatians 3. And Paul is, as you know, confronting the carnality of the Galatians. And, you know, I wonder why we find it easier to trust man than God. You ever notice that? We find it easier to trust in man than God. God says, trust in me, hope in me. But all it takes is one word from man and we are despondent. You know, if we had a friend that was as faithful as God has been to us, as loving as God has been to us, we would be less likely to forsake him or her as we have been to forsake God. We consistently put our hope and confidence in the flesh. And here's an interesting point. We are more confident in the works of the flesh to secure our relationship with God than the finished work of Christ. Isn't that true? We are more confident in the works of the flesh to secure our relationship with God than the finished work of Christ. You know how I know that? Some of you sitting out there right now are condemned, filled with guilt, and feel distant from God because of your behavior, because of your thoughts, because you've allowed this world to tell you who you are, because you've allowed the enemy to tell you who you are. You have more confidence in the perceptions of the mind, will, and emotions than you do in the declaration of the Word of God and the truth of God that lives within you. I know because I've been there. There quite often. 
got his little villa out there. Paul is pointing to the Galatians, and he's saying, guys, you're mixing law and grace. You're mixing a lie with the truth, and you're coming up with a distortion. See, what lured the Galatians into that kind of thinking? What lured the Galatians into a mixture that said, I can, by my own efforts, please God as long as I do certain things and act certain ways? What lured them into that? Was it their love for God? No. Was it their desire to be religious? No. Was it their stellar character that demanded that they do something? No. It was pride. Pride is the carrot that pulls us into carnality every time. Pride. They were lured in by pride. And remember, these are Gentile churches, so they had no acquaintance with the law whatsoever, the the Jewish law. And being Gentile, it was pretty much impossible for them to keep the law. So why were they still trying? Pride. The flesh will believe that with the proper motivation and understanding, it can create for itself a righteousness that rivals the righteousness of Christ. It will. One of the ways that we can logically embrace such hopeless folly is to make our relationship with God man-centered. So we believe that God responds to our attempts to be righteous with his help and his blessing. And we will ever work to achieve his help and his blessing. We are being held together by his love. We exist because we're on the vine. We literally live in union with him. We are held there because we were created in part in the vine, in Christ. What else does he need to do to prove to us that we cannot, by our own effort, attach ourselves to God? He has attached himself to us. Yet we try, don't we? The interesting thing is, when we start working that angle, when we start trying to feel closer to God by virtue of how we act, what we do, our behavior, somehow keep up in the game, don't we? It never seems like it's enough. I mean, started out with just reading the Bible, now i got to know the Greek and the Hebrew. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and pretty soon, you know, you realize, as Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, realized, there was no end to the flesh trying to find the righteousness of God, because, you know, the flesh can't achieve it. Just can't do it. So, well, this was true of the early Gentile church in Galatia, and it's true today. This letter is as timely today as it was then. How? Well, the man-centered approach to God is even more popular today than it was in their day. It is. It has prospered in religion, whether the focus is works or grace. Under works, we are taught that we must do or not do in order to stay in fellowship with God. 
And the liberty of grace is equally distorted to be understood as the liberty of flesh. So that we put more emphasis on our liberty than we do the relationship we have as a result of the new birth. Both of them are a distortion. In 1 John we read that God is love. So works that are not empowered by our love relationship with God are the fruit of self-righteousness and quite frankly a stench in the nostrils of God. The liberty of of grace that is not born out of that love relationship and does not reflect our union with Christ is an abomination unto God that distorts and perverts the very purposes of grace. Can I make that any clearer? But it's true. Two sides of a tree. Paul is not trying to soft-pedal this because, quite frankly, the heart of the Father is grieved. The heart of the fathers grieved by the way the Galatians had so quickly forgotten their passion to know their God. They had forgotten their first love. I read that verse to you many times over in Revelation. And he says, you're doing everything right. You're going to church. You know, you're standing in the word. You're standing against the apostasy. And I applaud you for all of that. But there's just this one thing. It's one thing. You've forgotten your first love. You know what he's talking about? You've forgotten me. You've forgotten me. We're supposed to be doing all this out of our relationship together. It's like going to an anniversary dinner and leaving the wife at home. And God says, you've forgotten me. You forgot the reason that I sent my son. You forgot the reason of the new birth. You forgot the purpose of joining you with my spirit. You forgot why I made you righteous and holy. You've forgotten why I allow you in my presence. You've forgotten why I call you my child. Forgotten me. Here's the thing. Because they had neglected faith and the practice of yielding to the Spirit, Paul's message to them would initially be received with a man-centered resolve to try harder. But before they could return to living to and from the truth, they would have to resolve to know their God by faith. The same way they were saved. The same way they were birthed into the relationship. If they had grown to rely on the soul, that is the mind, will, and emotions to define their relationship with God, the exercise of faith would be all the more difficult. How many of you believe he's close when you feel he's close? How many of you believe he's, he finds favor in you when, when you do everything right? Only when you do everything right. That's defining your relationship in your soul. According to the flesh. You're looking at him the way you look at everybody else. And that's just not right. You're forsaking grace. You're forsaking truth. How long can we believe that we are spiritual creatures. Living from the unending flood of his love. When we feel despair, disappointment and fear. How easy is it to trust in your union with God in the midst of failure. To be confident in the faithfulness of God when you are without hope in the body or in your circumstances. How? By faith. By faith. For the Galatians, Christianity had become a religion rather than an intimate relationship that they were birthed in through Christ. And Paul illustrated 
this with Peter's era. You remember us talking about that. Last week we looked at Paul's confrontation with Peter in chapter 2. And Paul writes that Peter, the reputed greatest apostle and one of the pillars of the early church, demonstrated carnality by separating himself from the Gentiles when certain Jews arrived from the, from the church in Jerusalem. And Paul records his rebuke of Peter, and then he moves on in his writing to writing about the context of living the Christian life, what Paul defines as the context of living his life. And that's where we look at Galatians 2.20. And it's beautifully illustrated there. We talked about that. And then Paul confronts the Galatians. And in the final verse of chapter 2, verse 21, Paul makes this pointed statement. He says of himself, he says, I do not ignore or nullify the gracious gift of the grace of God, his amazing unmerited favor. For if righteousness comes through observing the law, then Christ died needlessly. His suffering and death would have been of no purpose, would have had no purpose whatsoever. I do not nullify. That word nullify means to set aside or to render useless. And that's what the Galatians were doing by embracing a man-centered Jesus-plus doctrine. And I love the way Paul phrases it. I do not, I do not ignore. I do not, I will not nullify. You see, everything with Paul is a determination of faith. It's not, I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to make it my New Year's resolution. I'm going to give it my best effort. He declares it. And there's two reasons that Paul can declare with such confidence. Number one, he had learned to habitually walk in the truth of it. And number two, when he fell and when he failed... He came back and resolved in faith to declare the truth, not of his flesh, but of his spirit. And the truth of your spirit is that you do not nullify the grace of God. The truth of your spirit is that you will not set aside the grace of the God. Because in the truth of who you are, you recognize that it was that grace that gave birth to you. It was that Grace that puts you where you are in relationship to Him, and you will not nullify it. And that doesn't mean that I don't declare the truth over my soul. That doesn't mean that I don't want to walk in the truth of that declaration. Why? Because I want to live in the abundance He made me for. I want to live in the fullness He made me for. I want to know the fullness of His love. I want to know the peace that passes all understanding. I want to walk on top of troubled waters. I want to understand, embrace, and live in the healing of His Spirit. That's why. I don't want to wait till heaven someday. I don't want to wait till somebody says all you can do is lay there and get fed. I want to do it now. I want to determine in faith to walk in it now. 
That is what the child of God was made for. The reason you're here, the reason God didn't take you to heaven right after you were saved, is so that you would have the opportunity, the privilege, the blessing, the grace to walk in the fullness of all that He declares of you. You're here for that purpose. Every day is a blessing. Every time faith provoked in you, every time things come against you and say, what do you believe? It is a blessing and a privilege to stand in the face of those things and say, I believe in Him. And He is my life. And He is the grace that sustains me. And He is my hope. And He is my joy. And He is the privilege of my being. Paul declares... I do not ignore. That's what the Galatians were doing. By embracing a man-centered Jesus plus doctrine, they were treating the suffering and death of Christ as though it was a horrible waste. And God will not let that stand. It had to be confronted just as it was confronted with Peter. Let's look at chapter 3. While we're looking at chapter 3, I want to point something out. We're going to cover the first five verses. And as you know, the Judaizers had invaded the Gentile churches of Galatia, teaching that salvation was not by faith alone, but by circumcision and observance of Jewish law, Jewish ceremonial law to be exact. And this is a distortion of the truth, and you know that. Here's the fact. Whether we choose to please God through our religious works or reject God altogether to live to this world, it's still carnality. The two are one in the same. That may be hard for some folks to swallow, but that's the truth. Paul is defending justification by faith. He's defending justification by faith in the first five verses. And you will see Paul bring forth the witness of the Trinity. He brings forth the witness of the Trinity in verse 1 with Christ, in verses 2 through 4 with the Holy Spirit, and in verse 5 with God the Father. Remember that justification is not righteousness. Justification is not righteousness. It means to be declared righteous or authenticated as righteous by God himself. That's what justification means. Okay, God alone can justify and God alone establishes the criteria for justification, which is by faith through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 1. Paul starts out, Oh, you foolish and thoughtless and superficial Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would act like this? To whom... Right before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified in the gospel message. You foolish Galatians. That word foolish means without understanding. Not just without understanding, but intentionally without understanding. It is the difference between ignorance and stupidity. That's what it is. The difference between ignorance and stupidity. If you don't, if you know better and do it anyway, that is stupidity. Okay? If you don't know any better and you do it, that is ignorance. Is everybody clear on that one? Okay? The Galatians were embracing stupidity. 
They were embracing stupidity. And this is the word that is used in Luke twenty four twenty five When Jesus joins the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were spiritually blind and dull in their understanding because of their grief and because of unbelief. Hadn't Jesus already declared the truth? Because of unbelief, they even quote it to, back to him. The Galatians were choosing to be spiritually blind and dull because of unbelief and pride. They thought they could gain their righteousness. When Paul calls them foolish, he's not referring to their lack of intellect. This is really not about intellect, okay? When you choose the logic and reason of humanity over truth, you are operating without wisdom. The world may consider it intellect, but you're operating without wisdom. And anything apart from the wisdom of God, you know what God calls it? Foolishness. That's it. Foolishness. You see, God defines intellect differently than we do. For us, intellect's all about the flesh. It's about this piece of meat between the ears, right? God's not impressed. The, quote, smartest man in the world doesn't even believe in God. How smart can he be? Right? This is a departure from wisdom. That's what it is. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, morally, and spiritually undefiled, then peace-loving, courteous, considerate, gentle, reasonable, and willing to listen, full of compassion and good fruits. It is unwavering, without self-righteousness, hypocrisy, and self-serving guile. You see, when you reject faith, you reject God. And when you reject God, you have rejected wisdom. It's just that simple. When you operate outside of faith, and see, can you see how, how much contrast there is in between the way the world thinks and the way God has designed you to live? When you reject faith, you reject wisdom and operate in foolishness. The world says, if you want to operate in wisdom, the world's wisdom, you got to know all the facts. you got to know everything there is to know about it. you got to do all your homework. you got to make sure you check all the boxes. And you've got to have full understanding. And then you'll make a decision in your infinite wisdom. And it has the best odds of being right. That's the world's perspective. God says, I will give you wisdom. And I will direct you in what you should know. And you're going to have to trust me on the rest of it. You've got to believe that I love you. You've got to believe that I'm trustworthy and faithful. And as my friend Mike used to say, if there's seven things you needed to know before you got married, you only knew four or five, right? Maybe three, if you were like me, two. If there were ten things you needed to know before you took the job, you probably only knew four. If there were... You know, ten things you needed to know before you entered into an agreement or a a contract. You probably only knew three or four. Why is that? Why does it always happen that way? Because we live this life by what? Faith. And God wants us to inject wisdom, to appropriate wisdom in our decision. And you know what? If the flesh knows everything there is to know, you won't. Faith won't even be involved. I often wonder, why God? 
I mean, for instance, I'm out of work. You know which job I'm going to get. Why don't you just show me so I can have it? Well, God's not all impressed with you getting a job. He's impressed with your faith. This is a relationship. I want to hear you say, I trust you. I want to hear you say, I'm trusting you, believing you. I know that you'll be my provision. So therefore, we're going to wait a little bit. Well, I don't like to wait. Why? Because it makes me feel insecure. Well, where's your security in you, right? You know what I'm talking about. That's why it's so strangely quiet. All right. To seek to be authenticated by righteous works, by externals, is really just foolish lust. The Galatians yielded to pride, the pride of Eve, in rejecting simple faith and trust in God. You remember the verse, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul writes, but I'm afraid that even as the servant beguiled Eve by his cunning your minds may be corrupted and led away from the simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Whenever we reject faith, we're being led away. This isn't the absence of intellect. It is the absence of wisdom and the stupor of pride. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.